Roe v. Wade being overturned? Holy macaroni? Let's talk about that for a hot minute and get some clarity about that. But more importantly, the meat and potatoes of this episode is a surprise debate with an atheist that I found myself in, walking away with tons of lessons and wisdom that I want to share with y'all. Let's check it out. This is the Gaining My Perspective podcast, and you're hanging here with me, Wendy Cunningham. You're here to get empowered, inspired, informed, and encouraged as we navigate the everyday journey of this crazy life. Stick around, because we're going to laugh, and we're going to learn. And above all else, we're going to gain perspective. So I had a very unique experience the other day where I had a surprise debate with an atheist that was recorded and I was misled and that it was my mistake. I should have known what I was stepping into, but I want to share some important lessons learned and some revelation that came through that experience now that I've had time to process it and my heart is healed over what I was, I was just so flustered over this experience. So I want to share that, but before I dive into that, I of course have to touch on this massive story of Roe v. Wade potentially being overturned, which is really wild. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about some of the implications of this. First of all, Roe v. Wade is essentially the Supreme Court ruling, I believe it was 76, 1976, but it was definitely in the 70s where the Supreme Court ruled that it is a fundamental right that needs to be federally protected, and they thought at the time that it was a constitutional right, therefore, obviously, it it warrants a federal protection for a woman's right to choose, a woman's right to abortion, and not to have that um, limited. At the time, there was some stipulations around the viability of the fetus, and so it wasn't just a blanket ruling that allowed for any type of of abortion at any, you know, uh, time in the pregnancy. It certainly did not allow for infanticide, which now is part of abortion, where in New York, and it's being proposed in California, that you can actually kill your child up to 28 days after birth, so long as it's related to pregnancy complication, like let's say post-traumatic stress or post-pregnancy depression or something along those lines. Basically, these newer laws would allow for, it would restrict the courts from investigating some of those deaths as negligent. Let's just say that. So we're getting really, really extreme with what is even fitting into the box of what is considered abortion. And this is, of course, always the slippery slope. You give a mouse a cookie, he's going to want a glass of milk, right? You you allow for one thing and then the envelope gets pushed a little bit further and a little bit further. And here we are just a couple decades later and we're willing to put into law that it is totally fine for you to kill your born child. Now, it is law in several states that you can abort a baby up to actual labor. A mom could be in labor delivering the baby and you can abort that. Um, Trump actually signed into law that if a baby is is born alive during an attempted abortion, you do have to uh, resuscitate or then now treat this baby as a, as a baby. All of a sudden, it has crossed into baby land. 
Um, so that was actually a huge win for pro, the pro-life crowd. And that was just under Trump. And that is an, an insane law that we even have to have that sort of stipulation. It just shows where we're at with our morality in this country, like how far we've slipped down the slope. And I have to say, I used to be pro-choice. I used to be a lot of things, but I definitely used to be more pro-choice. And I, I want to say that I feel like we do a really poor job as the church or as the pro-life movement in general of of really alienating people who may have made this choice in their youth or in the past. And obviously there's going to be shame and trauma associated with a choice like this. And and then here we are and we're, we're, you know, yelling and tweeting, you know, abortion is murder. And of course, abortion is the ending of a life. I do believe that, but th- we have to be very careful with the language that we use. So as to not shame people who have already been forgiven of these sins, right? And I think we need to be a place where you know, it's not okay to do that, just like it's not okay to do any sin, but there is forgiveness for it and God's grace and mercy covers it. And we need to be able to allow, be the place where people come to heal from this act or these sins, right? So I want to be, I want to make sure that we hear that and we're very careful about that during this time. But I have swung more and more, obviously, into the pro-life category just because like the more I anchor down into my faith, I think it's very, very clear in the Bible. God is the creator of all life. He knew us before we were even born. He numbered our days. He knit us together in our mother's womb. Like the, the scripture is very clear that all life is God-breathed at any point from conception onward. And so that is a constitutionally protected life if you want to boil it down. But again, the we don't need to get into the nitty-gritty about this, but I, I just want to talk about the fact that, one, the Supreme Court in 2022, in a very, very divisive, wildly liberal climate in our country, that there would be an opportunity for us to overturn this is just profound. And it reminds me and encourages me that God is sovereign and he is in control and that he is super, he supersedes culture. He supersedes what's happening here in the natural. And I am like, oh, praise God. So this is a moment where God, I believe, is coming into our story and saying, it doesn't really matter where you, how far over the edge you think you are. It doesn't matter how much the spirit of Babylon has settled onto our culture or how much Sodom and Gomorrah we feel like we are right now, he can still come in and and put his hand of grace and mercy on the story and change the course of history. So that is a complete win. Praise God for his sovereignty. And I'm just celebrating in that. Now, of course, there's the chance that this is not true, that this leak was false and that's not the case. It sounds like it is true, but then we have to talk about the fact that there was a leak. This is really unprecedented also, you guys, and it, it warrants the question, is nothing sacred? Is nothing sacred? I mean, we do not have these sorts of breaches in our systems like we have now, where something as serious as this is leaked, again, for political motives. Obviously, the leak would be to rally the the troops, and we're already seeing it, outside of the Supreme Court to pressure the Supreme Court justices to change their mind before this ruling is made official, because this was a draft that was leaked. This is not an official decision. This was a draft decision. The official decision was expected in June. So, 
this, of course, would the, there would be motivation to leak this so as the public outcry, the loudest voices, can then pressure, intimidate, threaten the Supreme Court justices into changing their mind. So this is just uh, so egregious. It is just so egregious. And we absolutely need to figure out how this was leaked, and that needs to be corrected. And then we need to figure out which justice would have been involved in that, and that needs to be corrected. But it's conveniently timed in a lot of ways. Obviously, the left is losing a lot of steam. There's a lot of apathy in in the Democratic base coming into midterms. We have a lame president that even the Democratic base does not want to see reelected in 2024. So we're coming into the midterms. There's expected to be a historic red wave in both the House and possibly the Senate. Which, I mean, I feel like it's a little too late, a little too little too late, but, you know, I would still love to see some some shift or some checks and balances be reestablished. So that would be a good thing overall generally. Is it enough? I don't know. To change the trajectory of us heading towards the cliff, I'm not so sure. But... Um, all that to say, this would certainly rouse the Democratic base to get out and vote. So obviously there's a lot of political motivation behind it, but it is so egregious and so insane. But I still believe that God is sovereign and this would be an amazing good thing. I also want to say and give clarity to the fact that this decision, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, does not ban abortions in this country. Let it be very known, and this should temper the left, it does not ban abortions. It allow it essentially returns it to states' rights because it is not a constitutionally protected right to you know have an abortion. Um, especially like let's just remember the just irony again and the hypocritic stance of my body, my choice. Except for we just spent two years saying it's not your choice. You have to get a a medical procedure against your will. It is not your body, your choice. So now that has lost all of its steam and, and luster. And then we also have this movement of what is a woman? We don't even know what a woman is. So how can we, you know, cry women's rights when we're willing to essentially remove the definition of women? And then also now we're saying that men can get pregnant. So it's not even a woman's right issue. It's like, how muddy are the waters right now? Like, it's just so funny. And it'll be very interesting to see how this is argued and what is the you know mechanism for pushback because the the very people who are going to be outraged by this decision are going to come forth with some sort of rhetoric and it's going to have to be in contrast to some other rhetoric that they've been preaching over the last year or two so that'll just you know stand by for some excellent memes because these types of situations create just really excellent memes. So I'm looking forward to that. But I just want to be clear, it does not ban abortion. So for example, in the state of Tennessee where I live, we have a trigger law, which means if Roe v. Wade were to be overturned, automatically abortions are banned in Tennessee. That law goes into effect based on the Supreme Court's decision. So this would be a state where you are not eligible to get an abortion. And if I'm being honest, I'm not sure if it's a six week or less or if it's any abortion of any kind. I don't really know the details of the law. I will look into that. In California and New York, for example, there are very, very protective laws around abortion. Great. If you live in California and New York, you're still going to get, be able to get an abortion at any point in your pregnancy. So if that's, there you go. You might have to drive to California if you're just dead set on getting that abortion. 
So it allows for the state to decide based on their elected representatives in that area, which is meant to be a reflection of the values of the people who live there. So that is actually a, an example of how the founding fathers knew what would supersede this tyrannical government that ultimately would attempt to instill itself. Here we are seeing the system work for the people. Praise God for that. So there's a little bit of clarity around what is happening around the Roe v. Wade and the uh, Supreme Court decision. This is brand new, happened last night as I'm recording this. So we are gonna see this unpack. I'm sure I'll talk about that again. So let's move on and let me share with you guys. Okay, so I, when I say I was surprised by a debate with an atheist, I would absolutely welcome a conversation with an atheist. I would absolutely welcome even being recorded and being on a podcast as a guest to debate atheism from my stance. I feel like maybe I'm well-armed to do that. However, I would come into such an interview a little bit more prepared. Maybe I would have notes. I would prepare some bullet points. I would come in a little bit differently had I known that was what I was stepping into. My biggest lesson learned, and you guys, how funny is this, that my last podcast, I shared that God had really opened a door and allowed for me to be sharing my testimony on multiple podcasts as a guest. And I was really thrilled about that and feeling excited about what God was going to do. And one, I feel like this was a moment of humility for me, for sure. I, I obviously needed some humbling to happen. And let me just promise you, I was absolutely humbled by being absolutely caught off guard for this interview that I, I was led to believe was one thing. It was completely another. So praise God for his ability to keep us humble and just, you know, keep our heart posture in the right way. It was, it's, this is not about me sharing my testimony. This is about glory to God, his work in my life. So trust me on this. I am repositioned in that as my mindset. And I, I would encourage us all to remember that, right? That this nothing in this life is about us. It is all about God and his glories. Let us not try to take any of the glory for ourselves. That's my lesson, sharing it with you, my perspective. And then the second thing was, do not walk into anything that you have not fully researched. And what I mean by that is don't take anyone at their word at this point in, in history because the enemy is doing some of his best work. Let me just say, there's been so many instances where I've been talking with people and I just think, golly, that is a really excellent deception that that person just stepped into. And that happened to me. The enemy totally set me up and I stepped into a trap that I absolutely could have avoided had I been a little bit more diligent. And honestly, I was tired. I did not feel great. And I was um, busy. I was busy. Th these are tools the enemy uses, right? Like our emotions, busyness is absolutely can be a tool of the enemy. And so I, instead of researching this man who was going to be interviewing me, I just automatically assumed that what he told me he wanted from me was what he wanted from me, which is he emailed me and said, I think you'd be an awesome guest on my show. I would love to hear your testimony, share it with my audience and, you know, get a, a sense of how you came to this conclusion, right? That God is not, or that God is real from atheism to Christianity. How did you come to this conclusion? I'm like, absolutely, I'd love to share that. This is a very generic kind of approach that I have had happen with many other podcasters that have reached out and said, I would love to hear your story and share your testimony and just kind of get your, your how did you go from atheism to Christianity? So I took this message just like I took every other podcast message this past week and I thought, absolutely, I would love to share. 
happy to do it, and did not research who this person was and what their actual motivation was. My bad, goodness gracious. Again, I've learned my lesson, Lord. Thank you for <laughs> revealing that and removing the scales from my eyes because I could have easily prevented myself from being from stepping into this trap. So you guys, that's what I mean by this. This is a, the enemy is out. He is out and he is doing his thing. And it is his goal to deceive, confuse, destroy, steal, right? And man, we have got to be on our toes. We cannot be put back on our heels. And that's exactly what happened as I stepped into this interview. He said, you know, as soon as I came on to the interview, let me just give you a um, little recap of what happened. It is being recorded immediately, which is unusual. Usually I come in and we talk about what we're going to talk about on the interview. They kind of give me a little bit of a sense of what their audience is all about and all that good stuff. Did not happen. I come in, I'm already being recorded. As soon as I come in and he says, hey, are you ready to go? Um, sure. Yeah, let's go. You know, tell me a little bit about your story. So I start to share a little bit about my testimony and he comes in and says, well, I have the exact opposite testimony. I used to be a Christian. Now I'm an atheist. This is why I think it's ridiculous. And then he went on the attack for an hour. I actually hung in on the conversation for an hour, you guys. And I can't even, um, I mean, I remember loads of things. And of course, after you get off, you think I should have said this. I could have said this. If I had been prepared, I would have shared this. I could have done that. I could have said that differently. Of course, I thought all of that after I got off the interview, but I was really proud to have hung in there and not, I mean, of course I was flustered, but I was able to continue to articulate my position. And I, I learned so much from this experience. Of course, after I got off, I was like devastated because in my mind, I thought, oh my gosh, I am so sad to think that anything I share would be used to turn someone away from Jesus, which I know is this man's whole his whole brand, come to find out, is about helping people blaspheme the Holy Spirit and essentially like he's collecting souls for the devil. Like that's his whole brand, which is so devastating and sad. I'm like, oh man, I I hope I did not give him any ammunition so that more souls would be lost because of anything I said. But then I was reminded by my beautiful Christian friends, of course, who I had to go vent to, that this even happened to me. And I was like, I don't even know what my prayer request is. I'm just so flustered that this just happened. And several of them reminded me of the truth that what the enemy means for evil, God turns for good. And I was given a platform in a space where people are coming to listen because they agree already, obviously, that there is no God or that God is bad. So they're coming to um, affirm their own beliefs. They're coming in the, the desire for an echo chamber so they can hear their own opinions echoed back to them. And they got me. Actually, they got Holy Spirit who lives in me. So whatever I said, hopefully it was, it will resonate or plant a seed or, or, you know, just push back a little bit on any of these things, despite the fact that this man was very, very aggressive, very, very patronizing and condescending and offensive and rude the entirety of the conversation. And of course, my, you know, our inkling as humans is to do that back or to get aggressive back and praise God by Holy Spirit. I did not do that. And at the very end, I finally wrapped up the conversation, which I believe he was pushing me to do. He wanted me to leave the conversation. I could tell he is not going to end this. He's going to make me end this because it makes it, it, you know, it, it makes you feel weak when you're the one that's like, well, I'm done talking about this. 
So at the end, I said, you know, finally, and this is really at the root of it, guys, if you ever find yourself in conversations like this and not just about God, but it could be about politics, it could be about anything. I finally came to the conclusion that I am operating from a premise that says God is the creator of everything, including me. You are operating from a premise that says the exact opposite. At which point do you think our logics are going to intersect? They're not. We are operating from different foundations. So there's nothing that you're going to say that's going to make me believe that your experience is correct. And there's nothing I'm going to say that is going to make you believe that my experience is correct, right? We're, we're absolutely, this is an agree to disagree moment, right? And that was ultimately how I removed myself from the conversation because I thought, I don't know where this is going or where you would like this to go, but I think we've come to a place where you just keep saying, it doesn't make sense, Wendy. It's ridiculous, Wendy. It's ridiculous. And I can see absolutely where you're coming from and why you think that because you don't want it to make sense and you are wanting the truth to be that there is no God. So why would my experience with God have anything? Why would that matter to you? Which actually brings me to the root of it. And these are some of the biggest lessons that I walk away from this with is why if you believe there is no God, if you believe there is no hell, then what difference does it make that I think there is, right? Why would it matter? And he kept asking me, do you think homosexuality is a sin? Do you think raping kids in school, in, in churches is okay? Like, uh, you know, very emotional, all the pathos argument, right? Like all of the emotional rhetoric, very little uh, logos, very little logical uh, explanation as to, it was all about just trying to say these sensational things. And I would have to say, no, of course, I don't believe that that is true. You know, but you're saying there's purpose in suffering. Yes, I'm saying there's purpose in suffering. So you're saying that it's okay for a kid to get raped in church. Okay, that's not what I'm saying, obviously. (laughs) A lot of that sort of nonsense, right? But I, I had to come back to, why does this matter? If you're so sure there's no God, if you're so sure there's no hell, why do you care what I think? Why are you asking me for my opinion? Why are you trying to make me look silly? If you know you're right, then what difference does it make? Why are you even thinking about it at all? And isn't that the thing? He has made an entire brand on making sure that the thing he knows for sure does not exist that other people also feel like it doesn't exist. And I recognize where he's coming from and I feel sad about it at the end because I also was there. I felt wildly defensive of my atheist beliefs because I knew I could be wrong. Deep down, I knew. I actually don't know what the answers are. And when I got down to it with him and we were talking about creation and and my thoughts about creation, he said, well, honestly, I don't know. I don't know how we were were created. I don't know. Okay, so you, you don't even have a belief. You have a lack of a belief. I do know where we came from. I do feel confident where we came from. And, and I can articulate that as well as I possibly can to you. But your answer is, I don't know. Why are you so angry at my answer? If your own answer is, I don't know. Why are you, it, it, it exposes and shows me you have an insecurity because you don't know the answers. You're insecure about your answer and your conclusion. And so the only thing you can do now is try to tear down anyone else who believes differently. 
anyone else who thinks they're sure. And this doesn't just happen in this discussion about God and no God. This happens in politics, right? This happens all across the board. When you aren't sure, when you're not sure that the conclusions you've reached are good or sound or, or really align with your core values, then the only thing you can do is tear down the other person's thoughts. This is exactly what I did to my husband for years when we were talking about Christianity. He was the one who believed. I was the one who didn't. I was so defensive. I was very aggressive. And that's also, that's all I could do was because I couldn't articulate my own argument. All I could do was try to tear his down. All I could do was try to make him feel silly or dumb or stupid or inconsistent. This is poor arguing. This is poor debate, right? This is, it only reveals that you don't have a foundation. So again, when I got off, I actually really felt sad and I was like, oh man, your whole life, your whole brand, the whole, all that you do. I went to his website and, you know, started to learn things that I should have learned ahead of time. This is all about you feeling insecure about where you've landed. And the only thing you can do is try to make other people look dumb for you to feel better about it. I mean, if you have to trick someone into misleading them into coming into a a debate in order to feel like you won the argument, then how firm is your foundation? How strong is your argument? I mean, I would have, if he would have reached out to me and said, I'm an atheist, I would love to debate you on creation or on your beliefs versus mine, I would have been intimidated, but I would have prepared and I would have been willing. But that's not how he presented it. And I could tell by the smirk on his face, he knew when I came in and we started the conversation that he had succeeded in deceiving me and I had no idea where he was going to take the conversation. And that's true, I did not. And I was sad about it. But the, again, just to, I hate to beat the dead horse, but I don't believe oranges can fly. So not only do I not think about oranges flying like ever, I have no desire to convince anybody else that oranges don't fly, right? To me, it is obvious because oranges don't fly. So if, if you don't believe in God and you don't believe in hell, it should not be a thing that you think about right? This is a thing I come to often in interviews with people is they ask me, what was it like growing up as an atheist? It is the strangest question to try to answer because atheism isn't foundational. Christianity is foundational. Everything from your life, if you're a Christian, comes down to or spurs from that foundation, that belief that you will be accountable for your actions, that there is a heaven, there is a hell. Like, These things inform your entire life. Atheism is the lack of a foundation. It is not a different foundation. It's the lack of a foundation. So nothing is informing anything about your life. I actually went through the great majority of my life, all the way into my 20s, never ever even thinking about God. I wasn't thinking, well, I'm not praying today because I'm an atheist. Well, I'm definitely not acknowledging God today because I'm an atheist. Like, it's the opposite. You're not thinking about it at all. It's never coming across your mind because you don't believe it's real. So it's not even a thing. And when somebody tries to articulate an alternative point and tries to tell you that Jesus is real, you roll your eyes and you don't even feel the need to really engage that much further because you're like, well, that's not true. It would be the same as if someone said, hey, Wendy, oranges fly. You'd roll your eyes and be like, no, they don't. And that would be it because for you, it's so ridiculous and absurd because you don't believe it's true that you're like, I don't even need to explain to you why it's not true. But this gentleman is feeling the exact opposite. He's feeling so strongly that he needs to go out and prove to everybody that oranges don't fly, right? It doesn't make sense. It's similar to like, I think about aliens. 
I don't know if aliens exist or don't exist. I don't know. And so I don't really have the desire to make anybody else feel like the right answer is to not know, <laughs> which is his premise. I don't know where we all came from, right? I don't know. Okay. I don't know if aliens exist. So I don't need to make a podcast and a brand around making sure that nobody knows if aliens exist. Hopefully you're understanding this dead horse I'm beating because it's really revealing. And what's funny, so this was on Sunday afternoon um, that I had this interview and at church on Sunday, wouldn't you know, because God is so good, we learned from my very favorite pastor at church, we were, we were actually being taught on Revelation, which I love. I just think we can't, I, I know I'm a weirdo. I just think there's so much knowledge in Revelation and so much clarity and actually so much hope. I know that Revelation is looked at as like the scary book of doom and gloom and there most certainly is doom and gloom, don't get me wrong, but there's so much hope and anchoring for Christians in this book. We don't need to be afraid of it. But all that to say, we just talked about revelation in church that day and we were talking about in these times there will be false prophets emerging preaching false doctrine encouraging other people to believe what they believe to lead people away from the truth to lead people away from jesus and then okay hours later i find myself deceived into a conversation where a false prophet is doing exactly that with i'm sad to say a large audience that he is proclaiming this falseness too Oh my goodness, right? And the Bible also tells us, and this I know from my study of apologetics, that the Bible says we will have to give a defense for our faith. We have to be ready for these moments because I hope and pray that you never find yourself awkwardly at the on a podcast where you're meant to defend your faith without having any, you know, sort of knowledge that that's about to go down. I hope that never happens to you because it's super awkward. But because I know that I'm supposed to be able to give a defense for my faith, I was actually better armed than I thought. Could I have been even better armed had I, you know, gone in prepared or in the right mindset? Absolutely. I would have kicked his bottom in my debate had I been in the right mindset. But I don't, I look back and I go, you know what? I defended it quite well because I have answers, because I can defend my faith, because I have articulated these arguments in my own mind to strengthen my own faith. So I would encourage you guys to do that. And you know, when you're experiencing a spiritual attack, you're over the target, right? So if anything, I had just shared with you guys on the podcast that God is opening a new door and allowing me to do a new thing, to share my testimony to a broader audience, to all, I mean, I have done a podcast in Nigeria. I've done one in the United, in the UK, in the Philippines this week. I mean, we're not just talking about other states. I'm talking about, I am giving, being given a platform to share God's glory, right? I've learned this lesson. It's not about me. I'm given a platform to share God's glory to the ends of the earth. And then I get this massive spiritual attack that's meant to put me in my place and make me feel ill-equipped or not confident or, you know, shut me down. And I'll admit, I got off that call and felt those things and felt like I am way out of my league. And I felt these things when I launched my book. Also, I am not going to be able to defend this. I am not equipped to defend this. But the Bible also says that Holy Spirit will give us the words in the moment to defend ourselves, to defend Jesus, to do these things, to do exactly what I was put in the position to do on Sunday. So I am grateful for that. But I want to um, 
let my perspective be yours. Let my hindsight be your foresight that this might happen to you. Actually, it will happen more and more. We know that the church is going to be persecuted. We know that we will be persecuted for his name, right? That's exactly what's happening. But you also know that when that is coming, you are over the target. You are centered on truth. The enemy won't bother with you if you are not making a difference for the kingdom. And the enemy came and tried to bother me. (laughs) And he waged a full frontal attack. That just reaffirms to me that we're doing the right thing, that standing in the truth is the thing we need to do right now, right? That proclaiming our the word of our testimony, it says that in Revelation, the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony is what is going to help overcome and bring people to know the Lord. Don't shrink back. Be humble, but be wise. Recognize defensiveness when you see it and don't step into defensiveness. Listen for false prophets and ask questions. Jesus asked questions. Don't tell someone what you believe. This was actually one of my fundamental mistakes in this debate. This is why my husband won me over in the end. This is why my book is called What If You're Wrong? Because my husband was so diligent at asking me questions and trying to get me to articulate my own argument as opposed to him telling me what is true. And I should have done more of that. I should have asked him questions and invited him to articulate more of his own beliefs because the little that I did that, the very, you know, it was very quick to reveal he did not know was his answer. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I could have pushed more and that would have been more of a revelation to him and possibly his own audience. So remember that. Ask questions. Don't tell. <laughs> Give, share your testimony, but be willing to push back in the form of a question because Jesus did that. That was his M.O. So I come away from this at peace now. I had just, I was obsessively thinking about all the things I could have done better and the ways that I could have articulated myself more, you know, articulately. (laughs) But at the end of the day, all of that flustering and shame was in my own desire to save face, to not look like, I did not want to look like a fool. It was all about me. But again, my Christian friends, why you have important, it's important to have accountability. My Christian friends reminded me it isn't about you. And you were able to be in a platform that maybe you wouldn't have chosen for yourself. And you were able to speak truth into that platform, which is true. And Holy Spirit is in me and he equips me, right? So I don't have to worry and it does not matter because my face is going to fade away. His words do not return void, right? So if I spoke truth through Holy Spirit in me, it will not return void and those will be accidental seeds planted in his audience and what the enemy means for evil, God will always use for good. So that is what I walk away from that conversation with, but I did want to arm you with that experience because gosh, It was just an eye-opener to me that, man, spiritual attack is real. We are absolutely on the precipice of this false prophet, false doctrine, and we are going to have to stand in it. We're going to have to defend our faith. We're going to have to not be defensive. We're going to have to do it lovingly. We're going to have to stand outside of judgment and do it, you know, do it well with the words of our, uh, of, of God, the words of God, you guys go back to the foundation of God has given you all the answers. But if we're not reading the word, if we're not understanding the word, if we're not in the word, then how is the word ever going to come out of our mouth, right? Then we're left to our own wisdom, which will fail us every time. And this was one of the points I articulated to him is, has human logic ever been flawed? And he had to say, yes, human logic is flawed. Okay. You're using human logic. I'm not using human logic. That's again, 
human logic is flawed. I don't want to rest on my own ability to debate. I want to be able to use God's word. So I have to be in it. I have to be of it and I have to speak it. I have to speak it out. So I hope that is useful to you. I hope that my little flunder, flunder, that's a blunder and what? A flop, a flop and a blunder is a flunder. Okay, there you go. See, I just make up words on the spot, guys. You are so welcome. I'm just increasing the language as we go here. (laughs) I hope that my flunder serves you and equips you for your own opportunity to stand in the gap for God. Not that we, not that he needs us, but he allows us to be his instruments here on this side of eternity. Thanks guys. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate this podcast and tell all your friends. And of course, catch me over at gainingmyperspective.com. Father God, thank you for that opportunity. Although it was massively humbling for me, I'm grateful for that now. And it was hard to navigate. I'm grateful for it in the end, Lord, because you showed me so much. You revealed and affirmed to me exactly what we're dealing with here in this culture, in this world. Um, I pray over this gentleman that he would have a softening of his heart, Lord. I pray that you would reveal yourself to him. I know that he would be receptive if you were to reveal yourself to him, Lord. And he brought up a valid point in our argument that Saul was not open to you. And yet you revealed yourself in such a way that he became Paul, right? So it does not require that he is open to your revelation. I know that you can overcome that. So Lord, because he has such a platform, I want to pray and intercede in the supernatural over this gentleman that you would reveal yourself in such a way that he could not deny it and that it would lead to massive salvation and and turning of his audience, Lord, to you. It's in your son's name we ask these things. Amen.